welcome to another episode of the breakdown. There's no question that one of the bigger issues that has been somewhat overshadowed by COVID-19, but nonetheless is still very present, has to do with environmental policy in Alberta. We've certainly seen some contentious issues come up over the last uh, few weeks in regards to uh, coal mining rights being sold off to foreign companies. Um, But that's related to what we're going to talk about today, but it's not exactly what we're going to talk about today. There's a grassroots initiative that sort of popped up in Alberta called the Climate Hub, and we're very, very grateful to have two representatives from the Climate Hub joining us today to tell us a little bit more about what the Climate Hub is, but also to tell us a little bit more about one of the big campaigns that they're they're pushing right now. So we're very, very grateful to be joined today by Dr. Joe Vipond uh, and Robert Tremblay. Um, So Dr. Vipond, to start with you, can you tell us a little bit about sort of what is the Climate Hub and what's the history of the Climate Hub? How did this thing come to be? Yeah, we've been in existence for about three years, and we were formed as a, a, a number of cubs were formed across the country at the same time by an organization uh, in, based out of Montreal called the Climate Reality Project Canada. And if you think you kind of recognize that name, that's because the Climate Reality Project is Al Gore's um, initiative in the United States to try and create these uh, grassroots hubs across uh, across the, the North America and around the world. Um, So the initial plan for Climate Reality Project was to create these hubs so that various organizations that are working on climate could um, work together so that we're all pushing in the same direction so that there wasn't doubling up of efforts, um, that kind of thing. Uh, But the sad reality here in, in Calgary is there wasn't really a lot of organizations working on climate. <laughs> so we kind of had to create it from this from scratch. I mean, prior to us, there were things like the Pemita Institute, that's a, you know, a, a policy think tank, um, Sustainable Calgary that works on municipal um, uh, policy for uh, sustainability. Um, there was a, a group called the Cane- uh, Calgary Climate Action Network, which was, was very much uh, organized marches in the streets and, and other activities. Um, but, but they were kind of dissipating at that time. And so we needed to fill that space. Um, and so we wanted to create an entity unto itself um, and literally build a, a legion of, of volunteers that could work on this, very much based in volunteerism, very much based in nonpartisan um, diversity. These are some of the values that we kind of explicitly chased. And uh, over the last three years, we, we've grown. We now have um, three part-time employees that work with us. Um, we do you know, multiple um, uh, activities a month. Uh, we're very, very engaged with the city councilors and administration pushing for strong climate policy uh, at the municipal level. Um, and basically we, we act as a place where people who want to do more on climate can get involved and make change. Okay. And Robert, how did you get involved with uh, the Climate Hub? Mm-hmm. So um, as uh, kind of COVID happened, uh, one of the things the Climate Hub's been doing is uh, another member, uh, Steve Bentley, he's been putting on this uh, series called uh, Climate of Change. And um, I think um, I initially got exposed to the hub. They did uh, another kind of outreach event um, at the Sonalta Community Association. So Grzot and I actually went, went to that one. And then I think I'd like the climate hub. And then I started seeing these climate change things pop up on my, up, up on my uh, Facebook feed. Um, and they're really solid interviews. Like they have uh, really great guests. And um, 
I kind of started commenting on them. And one, one idea I kind of had for um, climate action um, is the idea of uh, NMAX um, becoming 100% clean or 100% net zero as we're advocating for. And um, Steve kind of put me in contact with Joe and stuff just kind of went from there. I think the more I've gotten involved with the hub, they're, um, they're doing all kinds of really great uh, advocacy. And it's, it's just, yeah, the, the amount of stuff they're outputting um, definitely outsizes the amount of people um, that are working there. So, mm -hmm. okay, perfect. Um, and just a little bit of context for, for the, cause there's a little bit of inside of baseball in that, that, uh, that answer there. Uh, the name that you mentioned, Gajot is the executive producer for the, the breakdown. So there's, there's a little bit of overlap there, Matt, don't get too excited. We'll get to stuff that you can get excited about in a bit. Okay. Um, so Dr. Vaipwan, uh, there's a particular, uh, initiative that the Climate Hub has been pushing for for a little bit, um, and it's it's probably the big reason that you guys are here to to chat today. Can you tell me a little bit about what that initiative is? Yeah, so we have a number of different campaigns on the go. Um, the one that you're speaking of is the the NMAX Net Zero campaign. So we've seen uh, across. United States and even across Calgary and uh, Canada and Alberta, this this push to have companies make net zero pledges, um, and we've seen this uh, in a bunch of utilities in the United States, and we're starting to see it up here. Um, and there's a reason for that. The the reason is is that electricity lends itself very well to go to net zero, um, and that's because there are viable alternatives like hydroelectricity and wind and solar, geothermal, um, and even energy efficiency. Uh, we know that it's cost effective, and we know that some of the um, current generation uses, like natural gas um, and in, in Alberta coal, uh, are are really big contributors to our, our emissions uh, in this province. Um, so, you know, recently we've had Capital Power this summer uh, put in a, a net zero by 2050 pledge. TransAlta has not made that pledge, but they have been pushing for more um, uh, low generation activities. Unfortunately, a lot of that is natural gas, which uh, we can thoroughly dissect in a bit, I'm sure. Uh, and, and NMAX being, you know, our municipal um, utility has, has yet to make that pledge. And so this is a little bit strange, um, but maybe not so much. And maybe we can unpack that a little bit. But some of the pressures that have gone on publicly traded companies like Capital Power and some of the American utilities um, is that, you know, you, 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 it's being recognized that being a good climate citizen is really important to raise capital. It's really important for insurance. Um, and uh, it's going to affect your stock price if you don't uh, make those um, pledges uh, and actually act on those pledges. Um, whereas here in, in, in Calgary, there's a bit of insulation to the company because they're not you know, actively um, raising capital on the markets. They don't have a stock price that uh, reflects um, uh, how they're um, how they're acting on climate, and so they're really reliant on the owners of the company, which is Calgary citizens, and and kind of uh, uh, as our proxy, um, the city administration and and the city councilors, the city council, um, to make for that push. And um, to this point, they haven't seen seen the need to go that way. And so we uh, decided that. 
Um, and Max needs to know that Calgary citizens really care about uh, climate and they recognize that this is the least that the company can do uh, to move forward on that. Okay. So what is the, the specific asks that you've made of, of and actually before we do that even, um, for any listeners who aren't familiar with the term net zero, what is net zero? Rob, do you want to take that? Sure. Yeah. So um, net zero basically just means that uh, out of your kind of pool of electrons that you're shipping to everybody, any electron that has carbon behind it, um, it'll be offset some way. So probably through uh, direct capture. Um, so basically that it means that you could by um, whatever date you say you're going to be net zero emit some carbon dioxide or GHGs, but they would have to be uh, offset in some way. Okay. So and, and for just, a company um, like um, like Nmax, it's not even just electricity. Like we would expect the whole company um, in regards to like their natural gas generation. Mm-hmm. How about the trucks that they use to move around? Like the whole company mm-hmm. um, overall, its emissions should be net zero. And those are called scope one emissions. There's three kinds of scope one uh, scope emissions. Scope one means all emissions within the company are. Um, are at net zero. Scope two means all your suppliers also would have to um, comply with that. And scope three means anything that you create um, has to uh, meet that net zero um, criteria. Now, scope three doesn't really apply to NMAX. That'd be like if you're an oil company and you're shipping out oil um, and then that's being burned, you have to account for that. But scope one and scope two would definitely apply. Just to add like uh, just a tad of context as well, Nate. Um, so I think um, just looking at broader climate action, so like the kind of the high level sort of path of decarbonization is that you want your electricity to be clean or net zero. Um, and then you want to electrify as many things as possible. So like vehicles, um, potentially down the road, like home heating with uh, geothermal heat pumps. Um, but really the linchpin for lots of that stuff is clean electricity. Um, like electric cars are still better on an emissions perspective than gas cars um, anyways, even with a grid filled with coal. But for them to really be effective, you want um, that electricity that's behind them to be, to be clean. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what are the specific asks that, you, that the, the Climate Hub has made of NMAX? So basically net zero by 2050, which is a pretty standard pledge. We know the country itself has made a net zero pledge by 2050. And so it's the, I think the least that, uh, that, um, that NMAX can do. And then we want to have some interim targets on the way, because if you just make that far out pledge, like some companies have done like CNRL and, and um, Synovus, uh, you know, they have these, these net zero 2050 pledges, but no interim targets. It's hard to measure uh, whether you're you know, on the correct path to get there. And so we have some interim targets of um, 50% reduction by 2030 from 2016 levels, and then 80% reduction by 2040 from 2016 levels. And just to put in perspective, um, you know, that, that this is actually pretty lenient. In the United States, they just elected a president who has said that their entire electricity system in the country will be net zero by 2035, which is in 15 years and, and uh, 15 years ahead of what we've been asking NMAX to do. So um, if anything, I think we're being too lenient and, and um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty achievable target, especially as technology improves. And how, I'll, I'll throw this one to you, Robert, how, how receptive has NMAX been 
towards the the requests from the climate hub um so they've been receptive in, in that they've uh, met with us um i think uh four four times so far and there's been a dialogue um yeah i th i think that they're um where mx is coming from is that they're kind of interested in it but i think that for them they need to kind of understand that there's a broad public support behind it and they need to understand um that they're not maybe sticking their neck out um a lot with the with making this kind of commitment like i think they need to feel comfortable to make it so i think okay. that's kind of where we're coming from with the campaign is to kind of get them to realize that you know this isn't something really radical this isn't something really out there to do there's a lot of companies um that have already made this commitment and the technology has shifted so much in the last five years that i think it's, it's really it's just good business practice for them as well it's interesting the debate that nmax is having uh, with themselves right now is can they um make a pledge without knowing the route to achieving that pledge um and so they're saying you know we really need to see that pathway forward before we make that destination and i think our argument would be well how do you know which path to take on if you don't have a destination in mind you need to create that destination be like getting in your car and starting driving randomly um or uh, but what you really need to do is say okay i'm going to vancouver um and so therefore i'm going to take highway one or highway three like you need to to have that destination first so you can plot the path and so i think that's the biggest um um the, the disagreement that we're having right now. But at some point, you know, with insurance companies around the world um, moving towards uh, saying that they're not going to support uh, uh, companies that don't have strong um, uh, climate policies with, um, with capital markets, definitely saying those things, uh, you know, at some point they're going to have to raise money, uh, whether it's loans or, or you know, re refurbished insurance. And there's going to be incredible pressure on them to actually do this. I think it'd just be proactive for them to make this pledge now. Oh, yeah. So just um, based on lots of the kind of economic studies that have come out over the last like couple of years, that we know that kind of getting to 70, 80, 90 percent clean is is like totally doable with the current technology we have. The last kind of 20 to 10 percent. Um, is where maybe the tech isn't 100% there yet. But what we're asking, um, we're saying we want them to be at 80 or 90% by 2040. That, that's within the realm of current technology. And that's 20 years from now. By then, like, we're asking them to say, hey, make this commitment to 100%. And um, by the time we get to 2040, that gives you a 20-year runway to figure out what kind of technology you need to get there. And there's a variety of ways, like what we're, we're asking them is, we're not asking them to endorse any specific technology. Um, we're just saying, hey, we want you to be 100%, um, we want all your carbon to be accounted for by 2050, essentially. So, you know, if you wanna do that through carbon capture, you know, have at it. If you wanna have nuclear, go for it. If you wanna have 100% renewable, that's also your choice. Um, there's a wide array of tech at it, but Joe's right. Like for them to get there, they need to, have that destination in mind and start working towards it. And there's no shortage of, of energy companies that have made some pretty major promises and pretty major changes to their, their uh, operations in order to support getting closer towards the kind of goals that you're, you're describing there. I mean, I immediately think of Shell uh, divesting 30% of their, their interests. I think of the, the steps that BP's made in Europe 
where an oil company has actually endorsed uh, banning the internal combustion engine. What do you what do you think the 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 biggest barriers are for when when there's other major energy companies around the globe that are able to to make these commitments? What do you think the biggest barriers are for Nmax in in not making these commitments yet? I think it's a good question for Nmax. Um, I wouldn't want to presume to know what's going on in their minds, but you know, it is, it is hard to recognize the status quo is always the easiest, Nate, you know, this, uh, you've been an advocate uh, Yeah, you know, people create their worlds to serve the status quo um, and to start to have to think outside the box, I think is a challenge for people and for companies. Okay. Robert. Yeah, um, a lot of what Joe said, like, I think utilities are probably one of the slower, uh, slower sectors to adapt and energy has just been a really fast changing um, sector right right now. So like solar and wind, like 10 years ago, they were relatively expensive, but solar's come down 90% in the last 10 years, winds come down 70%. It's a different world now. And I think, um, you know, if you've been in the utility industry for 30 years, most of that time renewables were expensive. So you might you might not be tapped into these trends and um, you might, you, you, I don't know, maybe your knowledge base is outdated. So I think, um, yeah, I think for them, it's just getting them kind of and max up to speed and comfortable essentially. And let's recognize the impact that this new announcement of the $170 a ton carbon price that just happened yes. you know, two weeks ago, uh, less than two weeks ago is going to have. So, Right now, natural gas is relatively insulated from that because the way that the, the price is structured, um, you only pay the carbon price in Alberta on emissions that are above the most efficient natural gas technology that's out there. And actually, interestingly enough, that's the um, co-owned NMAX plant called Shepherd, which is in, in um, southeast uh, Calgary. Um, so basically, Shepherd doesn't ha really have to pay a carbon price at this point. Um, and that's under the, the Alberta sure. government tier program, TIER program. If the Alberta government doesn't continue to match what the federal government's has put in place, which is both the pricing and, and the stringency. If the federal government carbon pricing, and sorry if this is a bit of wonkish, but um, if the federal carbon price gets applied to Shepard, um, that leniency disappears over the next 10, 10 years. So that at 2030, all of the emissions from the Shepard plant will be dealt with a carbon price at $170 a ton. And that's a lot. I'm not an economist, so I can't give you the exact number, but it is substantial. And and wind and solar will just look so good at that point um, that, that NMAX is really going to have to figure that out for Shepard. And they've already told us they will never be building another natural gas plant in Alberta. It's not going to happen. So um so really they have to look at those kind of assets and 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 decide. Um, how they're going to manage that. Just to put things in, in, in double perspective, Nate, and um, I have a background in that uh, I was really involved in the Alberta coal phase-out campaign that happened, um, you know, between 2012 and 2015. Um, we were pushing for, uh, you know, an early closure date to the coal plants. The, the government announced a 2030 closure for all coal plants. But the economic, uh, economics of um, coal are so bad now um, that irrespective of that legislation, 
2023 will be the last time any coal is burned in Alberta for electricity, driven off the market exclusively by carbon pricing. And that's those same economic forces are going to be applying to natural gas very soon. I was reading a, an article just actually last night that was talking about a, a coal plant in, I believe it was Australia, uh, that has been, it was only purchased, I think it was 10 years ago, um, give or take a year or two, because my memory is not perfect, but uh, a multi-billion dollar coal plant has just been written off to, to being of no value whatsoever by its, by its parent company. So there's clearly a, a, a shift that's 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 taking place in in energy production and priorities yeah there's a word for that it's called a stranded asset it's something that uh is no longer economically valuable um despite the fact that it is expected to have life beyond um you know currently so you think about this if you have like imagine your house you've mortgaged it for 30 years but you have to destroy it at 10 years um, you're still going to be paying that mortgage for another 20 years, despite the fact that your house, you know, had to be destroyed at, at year 10. Um, that's essentially what a stranded asset is. And that's what you're seeing on, on coal generation right now. And, and the worry is, is that's also going to happen in natural gas generation. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, if there are people who are, are looking to help support the efforts of the climate hub, how, how do they find you guys and, and what can they do? Robert, that's yours. <laughs> sure. So, I mean, first and foremost, um, on this campaign, we have our open letter that we're um, gathering signatures for online. Um, the Hub also has uh, memberships. So probably the best way to support the Hub is to just buy a membership. I think it's um, $50 um, for a regular membership, or um, if you can't pay $50, I think there's a 10 or five. Am I right on that, Joe? $5. Yeah, $5 membership as well. And then aside from that, just... Um, volunteering and getting involved um as i'm sure we're all aware there's always enough work to go around so um yeah did i miss anything there joe well i just uh, it i wouldn't be a very good co-chair if i didn't make a plug for money um <laughs> it may surprise you nate that it's really hard to raise um donations for climate activities in the city of calgary in the province of alberta that's, that's shocking. <laughs> shocking. So um, we're a nonprofit, so we can't put out charity, charitable receipts, but through our, our parent organization, Climate Reality Project, we can. So um, if you're interested in giving us some, some funds to, to support our activities, um, yeah, we'd be happy to take, take your money um, and just reach out to us. And yeah, the, we are, the, the majority of our work is done through volunteers. We have these three part-time employees, but really this is a volunteer-run organization. And the more volunteers we have, um, the, the more strategically we use those volunteers, the, the better an organization we are. Speaking of the funding piece, uh, because I know already what kind of, of comments we're going to get when we put this on on the YouTubes and the Twitter machines. Um, are Is the Climate Hub one of the... <laughs> foreign funded environmental groups uh, and have you guys made the un-Albertan activities committee list or do you know yet? <laughs> so we, uh, we are a hundred percent funded by Albertans, like literally a hundred percent funded by Albertans. Some of the area uh, groups that have given us grants and we should give them a plug because they always uh, appreciate being recognized for their support um, is the Calgary foundation um, and Alberta eco trust and we have partner organizations that have helped us out so, uh, through the uh, 
through the years uh, in the Alberta Council for Environmental Education, the Calgary Alliance for the Common Good, um, obviously Climate Reality Project in Montreal, uh, Sustainable Calgary. Um, so yeah, you'll recognize that those are all um, pretty, pretty darn local. And as far as individual donors, I can't even think of anybody who may be a donor that's outside of our provincial borders. So um, I'm pretty sure like of any substance. Um, so uh, yeah, we can, we can say we're a, we're a very local, local organization. Since we're talking coal, uh, I feel like it would be a little bit negligent of me to not ask for your gentleman's takes on the, the recent land leases that have occurred in southern Alberta. So, uh, Robert, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you first, uh, what's, what's your take on this, this new coal project that's happening? I mean, I know that it's not, as, as, as Matt Wolf has passionately defended on the Twitter machine, it's not for energy, it's for steel still results in the decimation of a couple of mountains what's 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 your take on it robert um so you know it's not uh an issue i've been following super closely but i just on the topic of like of steel like um you know just like electricity is getting disrupted i think steel's in the process of getting disrupted as well so you can make steel with um hydrogen is a is um a process that's getting piloted um in a couple places in europe right now or you can do i think just with electricity, um, you can make steel. I think uh, it's called uh, an arc furnace. So for me, like my, one of my like kind of big things I've been trying to work towards, I think, or at least that I've discovered I'm trying to work towards over the last couple of years is, is I, I want Alberta's economy to be future-proof. Like I don't, I don't want us to be kind of looking <laughs> 10 years from now and saying like, hey, like I wish we, you know, I wish we adapted earlier. Like I don't want us to, to be in that position. So to me, like the, the coal mines just aren't at least on a ethos level they're just not there um you know i think as far as the environmental issues like it's not something i've looked into a lot but i i think i've seen a lot of people who know more than me on the issue that just say yeah like this, this just doesn't make sense like uh as far as the headwaters um etc but i don't know if i'm <laughs> i'm exactly the right person to have a qualified opinion on that but yeah. okay uh, uh dr Python, your that, um, that uh you know Really, Alberta, this is your pivot. We're going like, because our oil exactly. and gas industry is suffering, we're pivoting to coal, um, which is, you know, by far the worst uh, climate and air pollution and, you know, uh, landscape destroyer out there. Like, that's our pivot. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, good luck with that. You know, Trump said he'd bring back coal. Like, it wasn't yeah, successful. Yeah. I think Australia, like, uh, economically, I think they've been having a lot of trouble kind of getting... Get, getting rid of some of their coal as well um yeah i just don't see it as as the resource of the future um yeah and it, i just <laughs> it's this really the direction we're going yeah it's fascinating to me because the last time i checked uh drum drum heller's economy wasn't exactly booming in the coal industry as it used to 80 years ago um mm -hmm. so uh the i i have i've Two more questions that I want to ask. One of them is completely off topic, so I'll I'll ask my 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 relevant one first. It, is there anything else that you'd like people to know about the work that the, that the Climate Hub is doing? Uh, are there any other messages that you you want people to hear about climate and and energy in Alberta? 
Um, I think it goes to what uh, Robert said. You know, we need to anticipate the future. It's that classic hockey analogy, you skate to where the puck is going, not to where it's been, um, or even where it is today. And, um, uh, you know, we've seen... Um, we've seen a real lack of ability for this current government to do that. Um, and so I think overall as a society, we, we really need, you know, we're, we're bigger than just the provincial government. We have municipalities, we have companies, we have, um, you know, other aspects of our society that are, that are engaged on this. So we as a society need to start thinking about where the world is going and how we're going to fit into that because, um, you know, there are examples uh, around the world of, of places like, um, you know, Waterloo or um, uh, Pittsburgh that, you know, have successfully um, moved away from their, um, the, an industry that's moved away from them. And so how are we going to be that successful uh, embracer of the future? Um, I don't think we figured it out yet. Robert? Yeah, very much the same. So like, I mean, I think with climate, um, everything you think about why we need to um, avoid catastrophic climate change is, is exactly right. Like we need, you know, it's a moral imperative to, I think, leave the world as a better place for our, for the future generations. But at the same time, I think Alberta has a lot of climate risk that isn't directly from climate change. Like we have a lot of economic risks tied up in where our economy is at right now. So we've kind of like Joe's alluding to, I think we have, we're cruising for a disruption right now. And I think climate action is, is kind of a win-win where, um, you know, we're doing the right thing. We're helping, you know, create a better world for um, future generations, but we're also helping create a better economy for the future and a better world for Alberta um, or a better Alberta for that can fit in with the world as well. So. Well, I just, I think it's funny. I go to a lot of conferences and stuff and, and I think, you know, along with the land acknowledgement, we should probably also have a client, uh, climate scientist really underlining why this is important because I think sometimes it does get lost in economic arguments and societal arguments, but really what it comes down to is like an existential threat is kind of a big deal and uh, we better deal with it. Otherwise, um, yeah, like, I have a 12 year old and a 14 year old. What, what exactly are we doing so that they have a survivable world? I think that can never be lost. I'm curious what your, what your, what your gentleman's thoughts are. I mean, one of the, one of the things that I, I feel like we're seeing more of is uh, sort of the, the science denialism. We've certainly seen no shortage of that uh, throughout the whole COVID-19 experience so far uh, and I mean, there's there's uh, rallies that are still going on uh, in in defiance of uh, logic and reason and evidence and all of the things. Um, do you, does the climate hub have any sort of educational component, uh, or is there any sort of strategy to try to overcome some of that science denialism, uh, or is that just not the demographic that you guys are targeting at all? I think our, our ethos of change has always been to try and move people along that spectrum of engagement. So if you think of the spectrum of being active allies and passive allies and neutral and then passive um, antagonists and active antagonists, that active antagonist, that denialism component is only about 11% of the, of the population. And maybe the, the passive um, uh, antagonists are, are, are more than that, like maybe about 30%. Um, 
but th those people are really hard to move. Um, they're, they're very entrenched in their, their beliefs. And um, I don't know if you've ever engaged with anybody on Twitter or on Facebook uh, who holds those beliefs. You, you'll never win that argument. It's like, why even bother trying? So what we're really are trying to do is move the neutral people into the passive um, uh, allies and then the, move the passive allies into the active allies. We're really trying to shift those components um, of, the, of society um, through our work. I would be, uh, I would, I would, well, I wouldn't forgive myself if I didn't ask this question. Um, just because having an ER physician on the show, there's some, some relevant current events. Um, I'm curious, Dr. Vipon, is there anything that you, I mean, there's, there's so much misinformation. Uh, there's so much uh, speculation uh, going on in regards to COVID-19 and the management of COVID-19. And is there, is there anything that you'd like more people to, with our, our tremendous audience reach that we have here at The Breakdown, uh, is, is there anything that you'd like more people to, to know or consider in regards to, to how to behave in the time of COVID-19? Uh, well, I mean, today is what, the 22nd of December? And as of today, our case numbers are actually dropping. They're dropping from their heights. Our, our T, which is that measurement of how many people one person transmits to is, is, is below 0.9. Um, and so our trends are, are going in the right direction. Um, I still think we probably haven't seen the end of rising hospitalizations and ICUs and, and deaths because those things are lagging indicators and um, that, that will come. But at this point, um, I, I don't think we have yet seen those peaks. Uh, time will tell. Um, so, I mean, I think the biggest danger right now is that people become um, lax in, in, in following the restrictions. Uh, and I think we also have to recognize the important role that government plays. So uh, probably the biggest risk right now is for government to start to take their foot off the brake too early, because with the amount of COVID that's circulating in the community, it wouldn't take much for it to re-explode again. We've seen that, uh, uh, you know, especially in Ontario uh, and Quebec recently that are, you know, both of them are both going into lockdowns after putting in kind of midland uh, amounts of restrictions. So, um, I mean, hold the course. I think what we've done so far is, is uh, exceptional and admirable, and, and we just need to, to hold the course. Excellent. Well, on, on behalf of everyone who works on the show, uh, I'd like to, to thank you and all of your colleagues uh, on the front line of healthcare uh, for, for doing the work that you're doing. Uh, there's no shortage of, of, uh, tragedy and horror stories that are coming out on social media. And I don't think that anyone who isn't living it can understand the kind of stuff that you folks are dealing with. So, uh, a, a big thank you, uh, from, from our, our whole team over here. Uh, it's a truly frightening disease and people should have a lot of respect for it. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you gentlemen would like people to know about the, the Climate Hub, the work of the Climate Hub? Uh, can we get your one of you gentlemen to throw out the, the website address and the, any social media that you guys have active? So if we have anyone who's curious, they can follow up with it. Yeah, www.calgaryclimatehub.ca. Um, I think the, my final words would be that if you're not in Calgary, I mean, this is an Alberta-wide um, podcast, right? So Climate Justice Edmonton. Um, uh, Edmonton Climate Hub. Um, I'm sure there's a number of other organizations up in Edmonton that I'm forgetting at the, at the moment. If you're in the Bow Valley, Bow Valley Climate Action. If you're in uh, Southern Alberta, Southern Alberta Climate Hub. 
Um, you know, these, these, uh, there's lots of grassroots efforts that are uh, out there uh, trying to push for change. And, and the, the, it's, you know, it's a pretty daunting task. And I think I, I wouldn't be the only one to say that there's been moments of that, you know, waking up at three in the morning in a cold sweat and a panic. Uh, oh my God, like, what are we facing? And, and the most important way of battling those fears is to get involved because once you start actually creating the change that you want to see in the world, it's, it's incredibly empowering. And it, and actually, uh, you know, uh, John Baez said, uh, action is the antidote to despair. And that's, that's um, important in, in climate as well as other um, injustice issues. All right, Robert, any last words? Yeah, I a hundred percent like what, what Joe said. Um, I think I would just tack on. Um, so I've come probably from kind of a relatively typical kind of Alberta kind of conservative background. I don't know if I'd exactly identify as being conservative um, anymore, but, you know, I think that action on climate has a lot to offer people kind of in a lot of different ways. So I think it offers kind of economic development. I think morally, like, as we've discussed, I think it's just something that we have to do. Like we can't allow, um, this mess to get just get kicked down the road to allow future generations to deal with when it's when it's a lot worse. Um, but as Joe's saying, I think um, if it if it's something you care about and if it's something that stresses you out, no matter kind of what your political background, cultural background, I think it's something that you can work on. And um, one of the ways you can work on that is with the hub. Okay, perfect. Well, I want to thank you, gentlemen, both very much for for taking the time from uh, the, the the pre Christmas madness, uh, even though it's slightly less mad, but more mad in a weird way uh, on a on a, a snowy day like today. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to have you on the show at a later date to follow up on how uh, receptive NMAX has been and if, if, they've, if you guys have managed to make any progress there. As always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, please consider signing up as a monthly supporter at our Patreon site at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab. And if you're listening to the audio version of our podcast, please consider leaving us a review and a rating. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at at thebreakdownab. Thank you for your attention. <laughs>